You guys ready to chop it up? Welcome back. Welcome back to Chop It Up. You guys, I am so excited today. As many of you know, we actually took some time off. Yes, as you guys know, we've been running since November of last year. So we took some time off and we are back. We are rejuvenated and definitely energized. So this is season two of the Chop It Up podcast. We just want to thank all our listeners, all our supporters who have definitely championed this podcast. As you guys know, this is a grassroots initiative and a podcast uh, that really speaks to our people, that speaks to our community. So thank you so much for your support. Listen, you guys, I am so excited and so honored for today's conversation. And actually, we have a special guest that's going to kick off the fall programming. So we are super excited. All right. So before I introduce this remarkable person, I just want to give you guys a little background. He needs no introduction. (laughs) He needs no introduction. But of course, we're going to give him one. So again, guys, welcome. And uh, before we read his amazing bio, I just want to personally welcome and Thank you, Congressman Jeff, uh, Hakeem Jeffries. Thank you for joining Chop It Up today. It's great to be with you. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. I am so excited. I want to thank your staff as well for facilitating this conversation. Now, Mr. Jeffries, I know you're a politician, but this is Chop It Up. So this is unfiltered, real, unapologetic. You can chop it up with us, right? That's right. Looking forward to it. Awesome. Awesome. Well, before we begin, there may be listeners who do not know this incredible man. So let me just read a little bit about his background so you guys can kind of understand why we brought him on today. Okay. Hakeem Jeffries represents the diverse 8th Congressional District of New York, an area that encompasses large parts of Brooklyn and a section of Queens, serving his fifth term in the United States Congress, Representative Jeffries is a member of the House Judiciary Committee and House Budget Committee. Representative Jeffries is the chairman of the House Democratic Caucus, having been elected to that position by his colleagues in November 2018. In that capacity, he is the fifth highest fifth highest ranking Democrat in the House of Representatives. He is also the former whip of Congressional Black Caucus, that's WHIP, and previously co-chaired the Democratic Policy and Communications Committee, where he helped develop the For the People agenda. In Congress, Representative Jeffries is a tireless advocate for social and economic justice. He has worked hard to help residents 
impacted by the devastation of COVID-19 pandemic, reform our criminal justice system, improve the economy for everyday Americans. Representative Jeffries was born in Brooklyn Hospital, raised in Crown Heights, and is a product of New York City public school system. Having graduated from Midwood High School, he lives in Prospect Heights with his beautiful family. Representative Jeffries, it's an honor to have you. Welcome officially to Chop It Up. Thank you so much for that generous introduction. <laughs> Thank you so much. Now, you know, I don't know if you recall, but I actually worked with your office a long time ago, maybe like nine years, nine, 10 years ago on a community initiative. Do you recall? Yes, is this connected to uh, the Hanson Place SDA Church? I believe it's Maranatha. It, it was a it was a gun violence rally. Oh, yes, anti, of course, yes. Maranatha. That's right, yes. I recall. Yes, and you know, the reason why I wanted to really talk to you and, you know, invite you onto this platform, certainly we are not a political platform, but I do believe that, you know, we have to have the conversations with elected officials that are actively in the community. Like I literally actively see you and a lot of different, uh, you know, elected officials doing the work for the people, like your bio has said, you know? So I really wanted you to come on and just really talk about that in terms of this month uh, of September, we'll be focusing on activism. What does that look like? And how does that sound, especially for millennials who are not necessarily, not necessarily trusting of a political climate, as you can concur. Well, you know, in the aftermath of the tragic uh, killings of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd, uh, we saw a wave of activism, young people from all across the country hitting the streets, uh, demanding accountability and an end to police violence, police brutality, and the excessive use of force. It was extraordinary to see, led largely uh, by Black younger women joined by a multiracial coalition of a broad swath of the American people, all trying to push actively for change. That led to Congress swiftly acting in the House uh, to pass the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, you know, one of the most forward-looking progressive uh, police reform bills ever to be introduced and passed uh, in either House of Congress. And now, uh, we are negotiating to try to get it done with our colleagues in the Senate. I say all that to say, from my standpoint, you know, activism is a combination of things. Uh, of course, protesting and demanding action is consistent and embedded in the First Amendment of the United States Constitution. Freedom of speech, speech freedom of expression, freedom of assembly, and the right to petition your government. That's all in the First Amendment. Yes. It's part of our DNA. It's a reason why it's in the First Amendment. Uh, but at the same time, when you're demanding change, exercising your First Amendment freedoms of activism, I think it's also important to make sure you partner that activism, that protest, with voting. Uh, because it's important to make sure that you are putting people into office consistent with your values, because it makes sure that your activism is more likely to lead to real results. 
You know, that's so amazing that you said that. And you said that so eloquently. You also said that as a politician. <laughs> so let me ask you, for those doubters who really, who their argument is that, you know, our vote doesn't count. Our vote does not matter. And you do hear that a lot in black and brown communities that our vote doesn't matter. What do you do you understand where they can be coming from when they say that, when they make that statement? And what is your counteract or your response to that comment? You know, I understand the skepticism and the cynicism that exists amongst uh, folks in terms of government being broken, because for a lot of folks uh, over a long period of time, you know, the system hasn't worked for them. The economy is broken. It's not really benefiting all Americans. And young people, millennials and uh, Generation Z in particular, um, are not inheriting the same pathway into the American dream that their parents or grandparents had. And we've got to fix that. So I understand the skepticism. I will say, uh, however, that who's in office matters. Who you put into office matters. We saw that over the last four years, right? Well, we had an out of control former president uh, who almost stripped away our democracy, has not shown any interest when he was in office in letting in newer Americans, immigrants, you know, from Latin America or the Caribbean or from parts of Asia, no interest whatsoever. Make America Great Again was in many ways or interpreted by many as make America as white as possible again. And now we've got a very different person in office. And we were unable to pass um, the American Rescue Plan, $1.9 trillion in assistance, the direct payment survival checks that people receive would not have otherwise been possible. The enhanced unemployment benefits, not possible. The rental uh, assistance and mortgage assistance, not possible and a whole variety of other things, uh, because who's in office matters. Your vote does count. And we saw that. Um, the difference between Barack Obama and Donald Trump, or the difference between Donald Trump and Joe Biden is enormous. And that change is brought about by voting. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. So what does activism look like? And you know what, before we even get there, Mr. Jeffries, I always want to know what brought you into politics. I know you have a law degree, an extensive law degree, and you've worked for a prestigious law firm prior to migrating to, uh, you know, the political atmosphere. But what what interests you in politics? <laughs> well, thank, thank, thank you for that question. Uh... You know, one of my homies, if I'm able to say that, on Chop It Up. Yes, uh, you can. I, I, okay, I got permission. Thank you. One of my homies, Boy Wonder, uh, a.k.a. Wayne Williams, told me, be prepared to, to keep it real uh, on Chop It Up and share. And, you know, so I appreciate that, that question. And I think, you know, for me, growing up in central Brooklyn, in the midst of the crack cocaine epidemic, coming of age, uh, during a very difficult time with all of the violence and all of the drug activity and the pain and the suffering and the death, but being able to come through that uh, because of the support of a loving community, a loving church, 
uh, the Cornerstone Baptist Church, uh, and of course, parents and extended uh, family, but also community. Um, I, I, you know, when I when I concluded my studies and began the practice of law, you know, made the decision that I wanted to use the skills and the training that I had acquired in the art and science of the law, hopefully to advocate not on behalf of just clients, yes. law clients, but to advocate on behalf of the community. And, and that is what really drove me uh, to try to pursue a career in public service. And uh, I was first elected to the state assembly and now uh, in, in Congress, and it's just an honor to represent the people. Awesome. What motivates you? What inspires you to push forward when you have to make those tough decisions? We kind of go on off course, but it's always good to kind of, you know, get that human aspect. Yeah. Well, being on the ground uh, in the community with the people, hearing about the challenges, the problems that folks encounter, um, and that happens in a variety of settings. Uh, but I, you know, I have hold Congress on your corner events in every neighborhood where for a few hours, usually over a weekend on a Saturday morning or Sunday afternoon, uh, I'll just set up my office outdoors on a street corner or in front of a library or a high school um, or, you know, a community gathering space. And anybody can come by to talk to me about what's on their mind, the problems, the challenges, uh, the adversities that they are confronting um, and working to solve those problems um, on an individual level and, you know, on a, on a broader wholesale level is really, you know, the motivation uh, for me and I think for, for most of my colleagues. And there's no greater satisfaction than you can receive uh, than, than to deal with an issue that was plaguing someone yes. that they that they felt hopeless around, and were able to step in, uh, you know, with my team uh, of folks who work on constituent matters and get a problem solved. Yeah, uh, and Absolutely. it's a great country, but we have a lot of challenges at the individual level, the community level, the city level, the the country level, and, and solving those problems is really what motivates me each and every day. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Let me ask you a question. Recently, um, as I was mentioning earlier, I went on a little vacation uh, for my birthday and I went to a beautiful, I'm not going to name the state, but I went to a beautiful state. Uh, I believe a very prestigious state. Um, you know, it's a metropolitan city such as New York City. And I was kind of culture shocked. One, the, that the, that state is rappling or is affected with the same issues such as New York City, which is homelessness and mental illness. I wanted to ask you, being that you do represent New York City and you can speak for that, what do you believe is, and I certainly you know, we're just having a conversation. What do you believe is um, the rise of homelessness, especially in New York and many metropolitan cities and mental illness? What are the correlations? Well, in terms of uh, the dramatic increase that we're seeing in, in terms of homelessness here in New York City and in other parts of the country, um, the, the high cost of housing, which is spiraling out of control, and the impacts of gentrification and housing displacement 
are taking its toll, particularly on communities of color, uh, the black community, the Latino community, uh, the veterans community, and even for a lot of young people who may not be homeless, but on the brink of homelessness and forced to, um, to move back in uh, with parents or extended family members. This all relates to the high cost of housing. So we really need a massive investment to create and preserve affordable housing. Not just rental housing, but in the view of myself and you know my partner, Congresswoman Yvette Clark, who represents the neighboring congressional district, we believe that home ownership opportunities that are affordable uh, are particularly important for us to invest in. Certainly as it relates to the capacity to create uh, the generational transfer of assets and wealth, uh, the primary means for middle-class families to pass that middle-class lifestyle down to their children and grandchildren has traditionally been through home ownership. Uh, but those opportunities are not the same across all races. And the rates of Black home ownership opportunities in New York City and across the country are lower than any other community, and that has to change. And yeah. we continue to make that point to the Biden administration, and I believe we have a receptive ear. In terms of the uh, rise in mental illness, it was a challenge before COVID, and we know that COVID has exacerbated it dramatically because of the disruption that has impacted all of us. I think Michelle Obama, you know, was very candid and clear that all that was happening was having an impact on her. That's right. Former first lady. And it was Trump in office, out of control, causing chaos, crisis, and confusion. It was the pandemic, the public health aspect of it, the pain, the suffering, the death, the economic dislocation. And it was the realization that in America, though we've come a long way on race issues, we still have a long way to go as evidenced by the killings of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. And, and, and so we, we have to um, aggressively create intervention opportunities, counseling opportunities uh, for a wide group of Americans, including those within the Black community, the African-American, Caribbean-American community, who traditionally have looked on mental health interventions as skeptically. Yes. It's probably the best way that I can put it. We need to end that stigma. Yeah, absolutely. I think you said it eloquently and I totally agree. Absolutely. So what are some of the initiatives that you're doing underground, like you said, in our community to ensure that that happens, ensure that we get the services and, and, and you know, the laws does impact the people that it needs to. What are some things that you're working on or legislation that you're working on currently that you can share with us? Yeah, well, we fought hard uh, in the context of the American Rescue Plan to secure about $9 billion in assistance for the New York City and New York State school system uh, in order to make sure that as we reopen, uh, which is about to happen this month, and $5 billion in assistance will go 
uh, to the New York City public school system, the largest public school system in the country, 1.1 million children, uh, that that reopening can be holistic and that it will be focused on, yes, academic instruction, but also making sure that there are extracurricular activities, sports, art, dance, music, and nurses and social workers in every school building, which we are pushing the administration to use the resources we have provided to them to ensure uh, so that um, many, many young people, for instance, um, who are dealing with so much trauma when they're back in the safe space of a school yes. can receive a holistic range of services including uh, as it relates to counseling and mental health. The other thing that we are currently working on, several members of the Congressional Black Caucus, uh, is legislation entitled Break the Cycle. And this is designed to deal with the cycle of gun violence and other forms of violence that we see our communities suffer from disproportionately higher rates as compared to others. And a lot of the break the cycle uh, effort will be involved in prevention, creating constructive opportunities for people so they don't fall into destructive patterns of behavior. Uh, but some of those prevention efforts relate to making sure that we can identify people who have mental health challenges that may eventually result in violent activity. And we want to get to people before the police have to be called, not after. That's right. That's right. No, I think that's that's welcome. And I think that's that's very imperative more than ever now, more than ever. You spoke initially about the housing. How can you ensure that us as millennials, that we are competing, especially black and brown communities, that we are competing fairly in the housing market? What are some initiatives? Because like, for example, right now, New York City, it's really expensive to own in terms of home ownership. So what are some things that you can't, that you're actively working on um, that we can partake in? Because that's very big right now in terms, like you just mentioned, equity and, you know, legacy building. Yeah, well, you know, I think this is going to require an all hands on deck approach, meaning city, state and federal government. Yes. At the federal government level, uh, we are currently working on the Build Back Better Act, uh, which combines a lot of the policy proposals from President Biden connected to the American Jobs Plan and the American Families Plan. And part of the Build Back Better Act is going to be uh, to provide resources to states, cities, municipalities uh, to create affordable housing opportunities on both the rental side and on the home ownership side. We also are gonna to continue to push the new administration at the city level. Uh, and I think, uh, the likely next mayor, Eric Adams, who is the current Brooklyn Borough President, has made clear that affordable housing is going to be um, one of his top priorities. And he's also made clear that that means home ownership opportunities, not just rental opportunities. That's right. Because we want to create permanence in terms of affordable housing, not temporary availability that gets lost. Uh, Part of the challenge in New York is that whereas in most of the country, 
75% of the housing stock are owners and 25% are renters. In New York City, it's the inverse. Only about 25% of the people own and 75% of the people rent. We have to reverse those numbers. And that is the objective. I'll also be talking to the new governor, Kathy Hochul, about this as well. Very good. Well, Mr. Jeffries, it's such a pleasure to just have you. And we know how busy your schedule is. So we are so honored that you took this time, you carved out this time to have this conversation. You know, so we can't let you go. Thank you again. We can't let you go with a little trivia. All right. So we're going to lighten the mood a little bit. All right. <laughs> so out of the five senses, out of the five senses, which one would you forego? Which one you can do without? And which one you have to keep out of the five senses? That's a good question. I mean, I think, <laughs> I think, I think smell I'd forego. Okay. <laughs> if I have to forego something, uh, but taste, I think it'd be hard to do without. Without uh, taste. Particularly because, you know, I love my food. Right, right. <laughs> uh, and I'm trying to eat healthy, but I love my food. You like your mac and cheese and your, you know, southern home cooking, home style cooking. Huh? Southern home cooking, but also I'll take some roti and some pepper oh. pot as well. And so, all right, jerk chicken and all that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Flatbush. Bop, bop, bop. That's right. <laughs> Listen, it's such a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much for your candid conversation. Thank you for your support, uh, certainly with our podcast. We created this podcast literally to speak to people like you, people that are shifting the culture and truly making a difference. So it's an honor to have you and Chop It Up. Uh, we wish you luck as you wish us. And we're going to definitely have you back on. I look forward to it. It's been great talking to you and connecting with you and an honor to appear on Chop It Up. Thank you so much. Have a lovely day. Thank you. You guys, you. you guys, thank you so much for tuning in. If you like this episode, please like it. Please share this episode. This is a powerful episode. How can we move from activism? So you hear what the council member said, the congressional leader said, this is how we get active. This is how we maintain momentum. Again, like, subscribe to the Chop It Up podcast and also send us a voice note. Let us know how you like this episode. Mr. Jeffries, again, thank you for your time. Thank Have you so day. much. God bless you.